you've tuned in to Vita Food Stories, the podcast that explores the innovations, influences, and breakthroughs defining the future of health and nutrition. With Jessica Rabino, Senior Content Marketing Director. Welcome to Vita Foods Digital Week podcast series. I'm Jessica Rabino, Senior Director of Content Marketing. And I'm joined today by Dr. Niels Holm, Chief Scientist at Acker Biomarine. He's going to discuss the importance of choline, how to achieve the correct levels, and why krill oil is a good option for your supplement portfolio. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. So we've probably all seen different articles targeting consumers. They usually sound something like this when they're talking about choline, the nutrient you've probably never heard of or the nutrient you didn't know you were missing. So so let's just start with that. What is choline? So choline is an interesting, relatively small molecule. It is not, um, it's not a vitamin, although it's, it really uh, is very similar to some of the vitamins, uh, but it is consumed uh, in your body when, when being used. And it's not a mineral. Uh, so it's this tiny little uh, organic molecule um, uh, in the form of a salt that your body needs uh, to function properly. So why do you think that this is something that maybe has gone a little bit under the radar that many people may not know that much about compared to some other nutrients? Well, it, it's kind of strange because um, way back, choline was um, relatively early uh, uh, discovered uh, around at the end, the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century. Uh, and as its name implies, uh, it was discovered in bile, uh, which is called chol in, in, in Latin. And it's been around there f- for a long while. And it, it was also quite early clear that this is what you would call an essential nutrient. So in, in, in plain talk, it, what it means is that you need this in your food uh, because you can't make it yourself. And uh, why do you need it in your food? You need it in your food because it is a key element in some of the uh, some of the metabolic pathways that that govern our bodies. You know that that actually um, runs our cells, uh, so to say. So what exactly does it do when you say it runs our cells? What does that mean? Well, well, it is uh, it is actually. Um, carries uh, important building stones, almost like Lego bricks for, for how do you build Lego. So um, the, 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 those building stones are, are called methyl groups, and they are really important in many aspects of how we build material, but also how material are being uh, degraded or, or used for food. So it sits as an important element in these processes of life, so to say, so in the in the basic biochemistry of humans. And it also has another uh, important feature. It is a structural element in all our cells. Our cells are actually uh, a strange type of convoluted structures where the wrapping of that convoluted structure is a phospholipid bilayer. And um, there are two main major phospholipids in, in that form these layers that everything else hinges on really in life. And one of them is phosphatidylcholine. So you need choline to produce phosphatidylcholine. 
that's and then uh, it also goes into all these biochem biochemical uh, pathways, and then finally it is um, a major. Uh, it, you acetylate it, so you change it slightly, and it, it becomes a major neuro um, signaling system. So uh, it is a neurotransmitter, uh, and and it's a very important neurotransmitter for fast signaling. Uh, in your brain and throughout your body. I'm already convinced that I need more of this in my life. <laughs> it's very, it's clearly very important. And I'm curious about when it's important, what stage of life is it equally important for all people of all ages and, and genders? And uh, does everyone need it? Well, it, definitely everyone needs it. There is no, you know, with its central uh, position in those systems that I mentioned, uh, you, you need it. Always, of course, it is particularly important uh, in the build-up phase. So, um, in 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 young life, uh, um, uh, it's important for the fetus uh, that will get it from the mother. But there are different requirements, um, as you know, there are guidelines for how much you require, um, and 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 they are different for the different groups. So, you need four hundred milligrams EU requirements. That is, you need four hundred milligrams per day. Uh, for uh, adults and adolescents from 15 to 17 years, you need 140 to 340 from children for children from one to 14 years. Uh, you need 160 milligram for infants uh, aged seven to 11 months, and then you need um, uh, you need 480 milligrams for pregnant women, and you need actually 520 milligrams for lactating women. So. Uh, and, and this is the EU guidelines on this. So if uh, that sounds like you know, significant amounts, and I'm curious, uh, are most people getting enough? And, and what are the ways to get enough if your body is not making it? You have to supplement or get it from foods. Is that correct? Yeah, you uh, actually uh, there are several um, there are several studies that has come out. And uh, one of the most. Uh, yeah, substantial one was is came in the form of a of a an expert opinion in the EU in EFSA, um, but a similar one came out from the FDA in the USA uh, as surveys of how much of the daily needed uh, intake uh, people in different countries get, and uh, on average, even all over the world, um, the population. Uh, is taking in the less than 90, probably around 80% of what's needed for an up for optimal health. And that also goes for the EU. So with regards to what kind of foods, um, you know, all foods that has a cell membrane actually will have some. But um, uh, egg yolk uh, is, is one such food that, that contains a lot. And then, of course, certain other um, products that that would have, like uh, certain types of fish uh, and meat uh, and so forth, will also. Uh, but but egg yolk is a, is a particularly rich one. But no food is super rich in choline, and that's probably one of the reasons why uh, why um, you have this less than optimal intake uh, throughout the population. 
So let's talk about krill. You guys are the krill experts, as we know. And um, let's talk about krill and choline being a good source of that. We often talk about omegas in the context of krill, but I'm excited to explore um, krill as a, as a good source of choline as well. Yeah, let's start out with, with the beginning there, because krill oil, first of all, the word oil is really a misnomer. It, it's krill oil is it, it's more technically it's what we call a lecithin, and a lecithin is a mixture of triglycerides, which is the normal form of fat that people know as vegetable oil or fish oil, um, and and even in butter. And the other type of uh, the other large group of what we call glycerolipids is the uh, phospholipids, and and. Um, Krill oil is very special, or krill is special as a creature, really, because it seems to store some of its energy, not just as triglycerides, as other animals, including ourselves, are doing, but it actually invests a lot of energy into making triglycerides into, phosph into phospholipids, and in particular phosphatidylcholine, which is the one that carries choline, uh, as a means of storing energy. So krill is almost half of the lipids in krill, uh, and then krill oil is actually in the form of phosphatidylcholine. Um, so that's what really sets it apart. And um, choline in the form of phosphatidylcholine is, in, in many ways, that's the natural form. It's the form that nature provides. Um, we do make uh, supplements of choline, um, and we make feeds uh, with choline, where we have a synthetic form of choline, and then we sell it as a choline salt, uh, a bitartrate or a chloride. Um, but they are different than from phosphatidylcholine because choline insists on this much larger lipid structure that actually also is the one that carries EPA and DHA in krill oil. So it's a kind of uh, Swiss knife uh, that carries both choline, phosphate, and EPA and DHA. Hmm. So do you do you believe that that's, that makes it more effective because it's more well-rounded? Would those be like cofactors in the supplement or um, is it just because that's kind of how it would be found in its natural form? Well, uh, we've done recently done one study where we looked at the specifics of the uptake of, and it's uh, uh, uptake-wise, cholines are relatively well taken up, whatever, whatever their source. And we find our phosphatidylcholine to be slightly better than uh, the best of the choline salts, the one called uh, bitartrate. Uh, but there is a, there is another striking difference, and and this is a little bit complicated. But um, there are several papers that came out uh, starting out in 2012, linking. Um, we, you know, we all there is there's been a link between cardiovascular disease and certain types of food. And red meat has been there, and certain other meats, uh, certain other foods have been there. And there's been a link uh, between circulating levels of uh, of something called trimethylamine oxide, uh, which is um, a, a substance that can be made from certain uh, cofactors with meats, something called carnitin, and then certain other factors. And and so there's been this. This link to cardiovascular disease of, of of some some products that has some resemblance to to choline. And the thing is, what happens is that 
if you eat a choline salt, uh, then that will feed bacteria in your gut. And depending on what kind of bacteria you have, that will be transformed into a substance called trimethylamine, which, which is the thing that smells in smelly fish, really. And then that will diffuse into your body. And then your body will transform that into trimethylamine oxide and then excrete it. And this connection, we don't know all the details here, but it seems to be a connection here that you really don't want to feed those bacteria in your gut. Uh, uh, it's not necessarily trimethylamine oxide in itself that is the problem, but it is kind of a reflection of something going on. Now, we did a study where we looked at um, and compared trimethylamine, oh, <laughs> where we compared um, krill oil uh, and choline from krill oil with an equal amount of choline from from uh, the salt. And the one striking difference we see is that after giving the choline salt, you do see a spike in trimethylamine oxide in, in plasma uh, over hours after you've taken it. And you see no such or very little, if anything at all, when taking exactly the same amount of choline as phosphatidylcholine from krill oil. Interesting. So it's definitely really important for companies that are interested in developing choline supplements using krill oil to really understand the source of the nutrient and, and that that makes a big difference. Yes, you should do. Uh, I, I would definitely um, ad advocate the use of, uh, of phosphatidylcholine rather than, than uh, a choline salt. Um, at least for, for human consumption. When it comes to feeds, uh, th that's a different story, really. So let's go into that piece of it a little bit more. The, thank you for giving us that whole rundown of the science. And, and obviously, there's so much there. And, and I think that we're all learning a lot about um, understanding the different, again, the different sources, the benefits, how it works in the body. And now looking at the marketplace and choline as a player in the supplement market, it feels like it definitely should be. And, and now that we've established that krill oil, it delivers a good source of choline. What does this mean for brands making claims, particularly in Europe? Well, before we attack that one, I think you, one needs to have a look at the phenomenon called non-alcoholic fatty liver um, or non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And this is really uh, almost like choline. Um, you know, most people don't really know about it. But um, in Europe, as many as one in four actually suffers this condition. And it is a consequence of obesity. Uh, and choline is an important player in this. So choline can actually, or choline deficiency, will make your liver more prone to slide into Fat, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Now, non-alcoholic fatty liver is really not a disease, but it's a pre-stage. But it's a stage where the liver is loaded with fats. And to, to grasp what this is all about, then you need to understand that the liver is one of the few, if not the only organ with cells that store fat inside themselves. Uh, other parts of the body, we have specialized cell storing li lipids. So what happens is that when the liver gets loaded with lipids that it can't get rid of, um, then it will start to store those lipids inside itself, and that will disturb the normal function of the liver cells. 
Um, and actually, this is what happens when you feed uh, geese to make a foie gras, which is terrible to think of. But, but anyway, um, what and why is this dangerous? Well, it's the first step into what we call metabolic syndrome uh, that causes uh, diabetes uh, type 2 and that causes all the other metabolic, uh, the, the whole disease spectrum. Uh, of, of, of metabolic syndrome. And again, this has, in, in the marketplace, this really hasn't been addressed um, by, because it is so hard to diagnose non-alcoholic fatty liver. Because you, up until now, you needed a, a, biopsy, a liver biopsy to do so, and that's dangerous. So it's kind of been silent because doctors usually don't want to talk about something they can't do anything with. They need a diagnosis. Uh, and then, of course, uh, then you could go ahead and do something. Now, so I would claim that choline is on the, uh, it's a first choice uh, or one of the first choices to avoid non-alcoholic fatty liver. And when in the marketplace, now there are several new tests coming on the market, compound tests for non-alcoholic fatty liver that um do not require biopsies. So when they become widely available and in the medical community, they're also really starting to look into this because this is something that we can do early on and we could probably prevent a lot of disease uh, further on, further down the road because of metabolic syndrome. So that is something that that we think is important. And, and um, you, I think the marketplace needs to be aware of this um, in parallel with the medical community waking up. And, and as I said, the pharma industry is going to, is going to, and are already attacking this only after you are in the deceased state. So only after you have contracted a cirrhotic, cirrhotic liver, uh, while um, those who try to intervene through nutrients um, should attack this much earlier. And that, frankly, that is the right way of doing it, not waiting until people get sick. So it sounds like there's really, this is really like an emerging market or an emerging opportunity where I think it's interesting you talked about the healthcare piece and the supplement science and just general awareness around this topic all having to come together in order to present this opportunity. When do you think that that will happen? And for that reason, it sounds like um, this really is going to be a relevant player in the supplement market moving forward, but it feels like there are also a few variables that have to come together. Um, and I know that takes time too. I actually think it is happening. Uh, I've seen, uh, and you also see in the literature, there is a, it's a rising wave. Uh, how far we are from the crest of the wave, well, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you never know in uh, unless in retrospect, but but, um, uh, you know, given the sheer scope of this, the sheer size, um, uh, I think one needs to get moving now. Uh, you know, I think um, those who see this opportunity uh, to both to, to do good business, but also to do good, um, needs to move now, uh, really, uh, and be ahead of, I think in the medical community, this is really now, um, being seen. And then um, uh, I also think that 
certain parts of the population have heard about coding and have heard about the general lack of enough, not a, the, of not enough uh, choline, and will start asking their doctors about this also. You know, uh, Dr. Google is out there too. <laughs> so uh, let's just, I have one more question about, so let's say companies, supplement companies are becoming increasingly aware of this. They do want to develop products using choline and they're seeking krill oil for that purpose. One of the things that Acker has done such an incredible job with is the sustainability story. And so that's one more piece of the puzzle that companies need to be factoring in is making sure that the product is efficacious and that it's meeting consumer demand in this growing um, healthcare issue, as well as being a sustainable quality product. So can you just speak a little bit to that piece of it and why krill oil um, can be a sustainable option for sourcing choline? Well, um... Uh, it, it, this is a long story, and it really started out uh, started up with how our company came about. Uh, because uh, you can only fish krill, really, even though you find krill in all oceans on the planet. Uh, only one particular kind of krill, what we, the one we call Antarctic krill. There are six of them, but there is one in particular that is called the big one, Fascia superba, can be, you know, can be harvested. The others are. You know, either the ecosystems are too um, complex and fragile, or they're too small. Or so we set out to do this, and you know, knowing you are in Antarctica, the last wilderness of the planet, you know immediately that this is something you can only do when you take the necessary precautions not to destroy where you're at. First of all, uh, why would you invest in something and then destroying what you're investing in? So it doesn't make sense at all. And I always try to point out that our sustainability measures are not some kind of Florence Nightingale exercise. We're not trying to be the holy ones on the planet. We're doing it out of necessity. Uh, and that is what drives our, our, our desire. And so we started out investigating uh, and investing in new uh, fishing methods. We keep the troll down, going uh, in a continuous way. So krill is pumped on board uh, through a, a, a rubber hose uh, so we don't hide the troll and don't um, hurt anything on its way up and down. Uh, we have sieves in front of the, the troll such that nothing uh, that we do not want gets into the troll. Uh, it is a pelagic troll, so it's in the water column. It's not down at the bottom. Um, uh, we... Uh, have invested heavily in having um, in having uh, labs and equipment on board that let us investigate what we're doing. We have independent uh, observers on board, which is part of the requirement for our MSC certification. Uh, and so, we, and we of course have applied like any fishery down there. We have applied every rule by the body that governs the fisheries, Kamalar. And then we have. Um, we have voluntarily uh, joined with NGOs uh, and others to uh, to uh, specific, um, even stricter measures on where we can fish, when we can fish, and so forth. And lastly, uh, now we are investing in new equipment where we're looking at cataloging and mapping out the basic 
um, the, the, fun, the fundamental growth of the ecosystem in the area. So the algae uh, and the, uh, the tiny, the, the smaller zooplankton to know exactly the correlation between the krill biomass and that biomass. And we're even now also using uh, satellite imagery, mathematical modeling uh, of the total krill population dynamically on a day-to-day -day basis. And we are employing a fleet. Uh, it's going to be a fleet after, after a while, but now we have one of of sailing drones. So in you know autonomous sailing drones that have the ability to look down into the ocean by sonar and finding out um, more about where krill are on a large, much larger scale, and to, to then to combine that with satellite imagery and to come up with much more. Uh, dynamic uh, ways of handling quotas. So being able to decide almost on a minute by minute or at least on a day by day basis what the right thing is to do with respect to the fisheries. Well, thank you for that. It's so I mean, I, I'm always so impressed by what you all do around sustainability and to hear how it's evolving and you're continuing to leverage the latest technology and science to really push the envelope in that area is so exciting. So thank you for that. And while this podcast is about choline, I think it's so important regardless of what companies are formulating with to really understand the sustainability stories of those ingredients. So I think that there's such a strong, rich story to tell there as well, in addition to everything you spoke to earlier around the science of the ingredients. So thank you for that. And again, I'm always so impressed by Ocker's work in that area. So I think I just want to, first of all, thank you. This has been so enlightening. I never thought there would be so much to learn about choline. I'm excited about it and definitely know that our listeners will appreciate all of this. And just want to ask if there are any final remarks or comments on the topic, what companies should be looking for, what the marketplace needs around choline, or just anything that you're particularly inspired by around this topic. There is one comment, and that is in the EU, there are three claims, uh, you know, health claims that are directly, uh, can be directly connected with uh, a sufficient amount of krill oil. Uh, so that is important. And, and of course, we will provide anyone who asks us about this information. Uh, but but uh, in regular doses of krill oil is enough to fulfill those claims. Uh, and in particular, our boost product is is particularly well positioned in that respect. And I think that is uh, that is my final uh, my final words for this short interview. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you. And thanks, everyone, for listening to this podcast during Vita Foods Digital Week. So much more content coming your way. And have a great day. You've been listening to an Informer Markets podcast brought to you by Vitafoods Digital Week.